Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with an officer with the State Division of Watercraft about Safe Boating Week. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Angela Ann has information about incentives to get people vaccinated, the status of mask wearing orders, laws about vaccination disclosure, and fraud within the state's unemployment compensation system, and the issue of racism that Asian Americans are dealing with. In about 45 minutes, I'll talk with someone from the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids about e-cigarettes, and I'll wrap up the hour with information about further discounts for those seeking health care through the Affordable Care Act's healthcare.gov website. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, Lieutenant Don Roberts with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Division of Parks and Watercraft. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us a little bit about the Division of Parks and Watercraft. Uh, well, we're one of uh, three law enforcement divisions with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Uh, we obviously focus primarily on the safety and security of our parks and our waterways and uh, state property all throughout the state of Ohio. Okay. So when folks are at, say, a state park uh, on the lake or just in the park and they see an officer, can you tell us sort of what your duties and what your powers are as, a, as an officer? You're going to see us primarily around our state parks. You know, we have a, a ton of them all throughout the state, um, anywhere north, south, east, and west. You know, normally what we're going to help you with is, you know, anything from issues with registration, issues with um, camping. You know, obviously we, we watch for law enforcement on the roadways. We, we maintain safety and security while you're recreating inside the parks. Uh, we have jurisdiction and authority on adjacent roadways. Uh, we also have scenic river property, uh, natural area and preserve property that we maintain throughout the year. You know, that's generally what you see us doing. Uh, we could either be in a car, we could be walking. You know, that's like the state park part of it. Uh, you're going to see us while you're camping, see us while you're hiking, see us while you're recreating in the state park. We're available for questions. You know, obviously we're a law enforcement division, so we definitely provide the safety and security component. And then on the waterways, you know, water safety is, is paramount for us. Um, we're going to pay special attention to safety equipment. We're going to pay special attention to uh, safe operation on the waterways, uh, making sure that uh, you and your family can enjoy uh, boating uh, and doing so safely. And that doesn't just mean power boats. That extends to kayaks, canoes, you know, anything you might actually use. You know, we've got kite surfers. You know, there's a multitude of different uh, modes of operation on the waterway. Uh, personal watercrafts are another popular one. So. You're going to see us out on a boat patrolling, and that's the kind of things that we're looking for, uh, safe operation, making sure that everyone is um, you know, having a good time and can do so safely. So when you're on a boat on a state park lake, you are, in essence, highway patrol troopers on the water, right? That's, that's, a, good, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yes. Um, we all focus, our, you know, our, we are all police officers, so we're no different than a sheriff's office. We're no different than a township or city PD or that of, obviously, Ohio State Highway Patrol. Um, all of our uh, authority is very close to the same. It's just our jurisdiction is different. You know, uh, you're going to see us primarily inside uh, the state parks or on the water. Uh, we, our jurisdiction is on state property and state water and obviously waterways within the state. And then we have some federal waterway, um, which is considered Lake Erie, the Muskegon Watershed, or the Ohio River, which is also federal. So you'll see us patrolling there as well. And, yes, that's exactly what we do. I mean, uh, safety... You know, your life jacket wear, the safety, the way that you're operating, making sure that everyone maintains a safe distance between boats. You know, there's skiers, tubers. You know, that's 
it's just kind of an everyday operation, making sure that, you know, all the different types of voters out there can maintain a safe recreating the experience amongst each other is really what our main priority is. Talking with Lieutenant Don Roberts with the Division of Parks and Watercraft, I have to ask you, over the last year during the pandemic, what's the environment been like at Ohio's state parks? It's been much busier than the past, and we've always been busy. Our state parks are very popular. Boating is very popular. Camping's always been very popular. We would say definitely a busy season, a peak season, if you will. You know, as soon as the weather starts to get a little nicer and people can tolerate the temperatures at night, anywhere from March through October is a huge peak season for us. But with COVID, you're limiting some of the venues and some of the closures that were just not uh, available to everyone last year. You know, concert venues were down, uh, county fairs were down. Um, There's just a lot of restrictions. And the governor, which was great, was saying, look, you know, there's still plenty to do. Let's get outside. Let's get outside because outside is a very safe way to recreate, a very safe way to be. You know, if you don't feel comfortable staying in your house, you can. it's easy to maintain social distancing right outside. So a lot of the push was to go towards, you know, state parks or our metro parks, our city parks. And then you can do so safely, still get your family out and about. It's inexpensive, if not free. Our state parks are free, which is great. You know, we pride ourselves in the state of Ohio. We pride ourselves on our customer service. So it was, I mean, we had probably almost a 300% increase in a lot of our state park visitation last year. Wow. And that was huge for us. I mean, that yes, it was a big wow. I mean, we knew, we anticipated an increase, of course. I don't know if any of us anticipated that large of an increase. Uh, we were certainly thrilled. I mean, we love our customers. We love that people recreate with us. But we kind of went from a style of recreation to almost a vacation destination last year because there was, you know, there was a lot of places we couldn't go. You know, you couldn't get on a plane and fly. You know, some people didn't feel safe doing it. There was a lot of restrictions behind it. So a lot of people were staying local and using staycations as a way to recreate with their family. So that's kind of what we saw. Uh, it was it was definitely it was definitely eye-opening for us, for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. So this is uh, National Safe Boating Week. What does that mean, and, and what, what is the big message that you try to get out? Uh, it's kind of a kickoff the summer for us. It's a way for us to say, look, you know, this is, you know, the, the, the weather temperature, the weather, the air temperature is great. The water temperature is starting to get a little warmer. We know that the boats are going to come out. This is where we really push safety inspections, safety equipment, and water education. Um, what's great about some of the restrictions being lifted with COVID is a lot of our education programs are coming back. And also with that, our Ohio Boaters Education course is also coming back to availability, which I think is completely invaluable. The state of Ohio has an education requirement. Anyone born on or after January 1st of 1982 that wants to operate uh, a vessel with 10 horsepower or greater is required to have our Ohio Boaters Education course. So we have a mandatory education requirement here in the state of Ohio. Uh, You know, during COVID, it was difficult for us to get that in-person class to you. We've always had the free options, and our classes are free now as well. But we always had the online option, which was anywhere from $29.95 to maybe $35. And then we had a take-home study course that you could get through us, which was always available and still is. That's free for your family. But it's imperative that during this week you consider that if this is the style of recreation you would like to entertain with your family this year, please do so and make sure you're educated doing it. Uh, you know, call our office. We'd love to talk to you as an officer. We'd love to be with your family. Um, we'd love to do a vessel safety inspection on your boat because understand any vessel safety inspections to to basically look at your boat, look at your equipment, educate your family before you get on the water. There is no ticket. There is no violation. It's just an education. But then once you get on the water, 
unfortunately, some of those are uh, covered under our Ohio um, administrative code, and you can't get cited for those. And it doesn't do us any good. You know, when we see you guys on the water and we see our customers recreating, we want it to be a positive experience. We want you to come back. We want you to come back weekly, if not daily. We want you to come back next year. We want you to recreate with us, and we want you to do so safely. So we're trying to push this week of, look, this is what it takes to, to boat uh, recreation, if you will, safely. Um, just understand your skill level. You know, know where your family's comfortable. Know where your family's uh, comfortable boating, because that's a difference, too. What style of boating your, your family prefers? Are you guys power boaters? And if so, that equipment that's needed is much different than that of a kayak or a canoe. So a little education goes a long way. And we did see a lot of that last year where, unfortunately, people were getting into a style of recreation they weren't exactly familiar with. And then because of the restrictions with COVID, it was difficult for us to get that education out. So we did see, you know, kind of a, an influx and some frustration with the customers just not knowing how to do these things. And so we're, as a division, we're looking forward to be able to provide that education and that knowledge back to our customers so that they can do all this safely. It's huge for us. So this is a huge week, huge kickoff to boating safety. Talking with Lieutenant Don Roberts with the Ohio Division of Parks and Watercraft. Unfortunately, uh, fatalities do happen. There was one last weekend at a state park in southwest Ohio, a college student who was boating and was not wearing a life vest. I guess that's one of the big concerns. It is, and it's always a concern. We will always just, you know, you mentioned the Ohio State Highway Patrol. They're big on click it and ticket. Their campaign just started up this week as well. You know, they push your life, they, they push your seatbelt, right? So we push life jacket wear. I cannot stress enough that it will save your life every time, but it has to be on. You know, that you know the, the United States Coast Guard creates four requirements for a legal life jacket. It's U.S. Coast Guard approved, you know, readily accessible, making sure that it's the proper fit for the wear and that it's in good working condition. That being said, you still need to have it on. And I know sometimes it can be cumbersome. You know, we understand that it's hot. We have to wear them. I wear them, you know, with a, with my uniform and with my vest. You know, I understand we're used to it, but realize that life jackets have come full circle in, as far as uh, being comfortable and um, accommodating, and there's so many types out there. So please, if you would like more education on, on what would be best for your family, how to fit your children, how to fit you properly, we are always available statewide. Call any Parks and Watercraft office. An officer would love to talk to you and your family. Um, I would love to do a life jacket fitting. What we love to do is we love to teach children how to fit themselves and put a life jacket on properly themselves and utilize a partner to check themselves in the event that a, a parent or an adult is not around, because that's, that's huge. Um, so please, always wear your life jacket. We cannot stress. And you got to remember, part of the law is, is that there needs to be a life jacket that's a proper fit for the wearer, one for each person on board your vessel. That's one for each person on board every time you go out. So make sure you're counting those individuals and making sure your safety equipment is where it needs to be because it will save your life for sure. Is alcohol on state park lakes a big problem? Uh, it is. I mean, it's, um, you know, it comes and goes. You know, I think it all really just depends on the weekend and the circumstance. But, yes, it's, we deal with it every single year. What we need the public to understand is that when you're boating in an inland water that's not considered federal, so we're excluding right now in the conversation, Lake Erie or the Ohio River, but we, it is a no drinking, no alcohol in boats, it's zero tolerance. We also have an open container law, which means, you know, even though the operator is not drinking, you still can't have everybody else on the drink, on the boat drinking either. So it's just, it's zero tolerance. Don't bring it on the boat. Do not drink in boat. Leave it at home. 
Um, we want you to stay hydrated, but we please ask you to do so with water, you know, uh, power aids, things that are going to provide some electrolytes back to your body. Make sure that you have plenty of food, but leave the alcohol at home. And then, of course, on the Ohio River and Lake Erie on our federal waterways, we have the Sober Skipper program where it's operated much like a car, where, you know, your, your skipper, the individual behind the helm, that individual operating that vessel needs to be sober. Um, it's, it's the same rules as in a car. you got to be under .08. Um, and then, of course, there, you know, for um, anyone over under 21, you're not to be drinking anyway. So yeah, I, cannot, I cannot stress, do not bring alcohol on the boat. And you don't need it on Federal Waterway either, just to understand how the law is written. We don't encourage drinking and boating ever. It doesn't matter where you're boating. Just leave it at home. It seems like I remember reading five or ten years ago that the boating industry was headed downward pretty significantly in Ohio and, and other parts of the country. Is it rebounding now? What's going on with it? I would say that it is. You know, I, I, if I remember correctly, gas prices uh, really had a direct correlation with that, with, that, with that decrease in boating. With power boating, you have some additional costs. You've got to maintain it in the seasons you're not using it. And then in addition to that, you know, you do have to fuel it. So when gas prices are high, they're high at the marinas, and that does affect directly how often you take it and how long you take it out for. Um, right now, I, you know, the gas prices are a little bit high. Yes, they are. They're always going to be a little bit higher at the marinas, um, you know, on occasion. But we have registrations. Our registration numbers right now are through the roof, especially with uh, hand-powered vessels, our canoes and our kayaks. I would say for the last five years consistently, the registration for that style of boating has been on the rise. One, because it's a lot, it's a lot more inexpensive. Uh, you can buy five boats for still way under the price of one power boat. There's no fuel involved. We've made it extremely easy to get those to and from. You don't have to have a trailer. You don't have to worry about trailer lights. You don't have to worry about maintenance on the trailer. And, you know, it's, it's fun to do with the family. And it's easy to do. The boats are light. The kids can do it. There's, you know, there's even kayaks and canoes for uh, two people, your tandems. You can go on a multitude of different lakes and streams and rivers. Uh, there's just a lot more places you can boat. And it, you can fish from them. Fishing is a, a huge. I mean, fishing from a kayak or a canoe has increased tremendously in the last three years. And it's easy to outfit those boats inexpensive for you and your family to find things to do and you can do it anytime um but i would say our registration numbers are definitely up which we are thrilled to see definitely thrilled to see that it is pretty neat the different environments because you've got a place like hargis lake down in uh, pickaway county where you could be in a kayak and be the only one out there and then somewhere like buckeye lake where you know after a couple of years with low water levels and all that dam renovation i guess that's booming again now it is it is. It, it took us a little bit to get that dam fixed, but now uh, the lake is back up and thriving, and uh, the residents are thrilled. I know we are thrilled. Uh, there's definitely a lot of safety and security after that renovation that that park and that uh, waterway needed. You, you know, you do have to you have to be a little educated on where you take your family boating. You got to pick the location that's right for you, and you got to pick the time, uh, you know, the time period that's right for you. You know, if, if you're a, a novice boater, I'd probably stay away from the weekends. They're extremely busy. You know, individuals just, they want to get it done. They want to get their boats on the water. They want to get their boats off the water. So I always encourage everyone that if you're just starting out, you know, we have um, skilled officers that have no problem teaching you how to trailer, uh, going over that with your family so you're a little more educated. It's always nice to combine the family members in that whole experience and teach everyone so they can help. It just, it helps the experience in that process go a lot faster, you know, rather than just one person kind of stand there while the dad or the mom is backing the trailer down, untying everything, getting the boat in the water, parking the vehicle. There's just a lot of time-saving tips that we could teach you, and when everybody knows what's involved, you've got just that many more people double-checking for safety, double-checking for equipment, and getting that boat on the water faster. 
and understand too, you know, there's just less people out during the week. So if you want to just a more lazy, laid back, you know, serene experience, um, and if you've got the time to give during the week when everyone else is, is working, I would highly encourage you to do that until your skill level gets where it needs to be. That way you just don't get turned off by the whole situation because it's just, it's busy. Definitely is. Talking with Lieutenant Dawn Roberts, she's with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Division of Parks and Watercraft. Just as we wrap up here, tell us again about the boating safety courses and how people can get involved in that. Uh, please go on our website. Uh, our website's the easiest, and by all means, you can you can Google any park and watercraft office in the state and contact that park and watercraft office, and they will let you know what classes are available. If for whatever reason there isn't a class available right now, we have a home study course that you can take. We mail all the documentation out to your family by mail. You can study. You can take it. It's pretty much an open book test, and then it can be uh, the test can be taken at home and then brought in and graded by an officer. If that doesn't work for your family and you want a little bit more one-on-one and there's no class available, we would be happy to provide that for your family. There's absolutely no problem for that at all. There's always the online portion. The online portion is a timed course now. So you're going to pay about roughly $30 for one, and sometimes they have coupons. But we have a couple online providers that provide this course for us. And what's nice is it's timed, meaning that it, it forces you to study as you're going, forces you to learn the information as you're going, and not just be able to forward through what you don't feel like hearing, because all of it is necessary. Um, so our online course providers have come a long way at kind of designing that course around and tailoring it to the individual taking it. But, I mean, there's a plethora of ways that you can get education and safety on the water. There doesn't have to be a class available. So by all means, if you don't see something available in your area that's convenient, please, please, please call that Watercraft and Parks office and an officer. We will be happy to accommodate your family. We want you to be educated before you go, and we will. We have no problem spending that time with you. All right. Outstanding. Anything else you'd like to add? Really just wear the life jackets. We are always going to say, if you, if you learn nothing else from what you've just heard me say, please make sure you buy a life jacket that's properly fitted, U.S. Coast Guard approved, in good working condition, and make sure it's either on or readily accessible for your family every time you go out boating. It's just so tragic because every year we hear about these young people who lose their lives in these lakes. And difficult when it can be prevented. That's, uh, that's the heart, disheartening part. Is a little education could have gone a long way, and we hate to see that. So wear that life jacket. And in one instance, it's decades of a life taken away. Mm-hmm. It is. In some cases, it is. Lieutenant Dawn Roberts, again, she's with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Division of Parks and Watercraft. Thanks so much for your time and the information today. Thank you very much for having us anytime. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 970 970- OneTheFan.com, and thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Angela Ann from 10 TV's Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Hello, and thank you for joining us on Face the State. I'm Angela Ann. Tracy Townsend is off. The Vaxa Million drawing. The goal is to encourage more Ohioans to get the COVID-19 vaccine. 
Now, to qualify for the drawing, you must receive at least one shot. There are two ways, though, to register. You can go online to ohiovaxamillion.com or call 1-833-4-ASK-ODH. Now, the governor says the goal is to increase the number of people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. But it's not the only incentive happening right now. TV's Lindsay Mills has several other options from across the area. Aside from Vaximillion, employees here at Claremont Retirement Village in Columbus have a chance at winning some serious cash if they get vaccinated. We're doing four drawings of $250. Trisha Lahan and Deborah Lacaboni say they saw firsthand the need to incentivize people to get vaccinated. They started their lottery before Governor DeWine announced Vaximillion. Just the lottery here in Ohio alone. People like that feel of the chance the opportunity to win something, the scratch-offs. By doing it, I think he got more people interested in it. But is Vaximillion working? Ohio Department of Health says yes. According to a news release, there's been a 28% increase in vaccinations for Ohioans 16 and older. However, Franklin County Public Health says it's not seeing an increase like other areas of the state are seeing. To help get their numbers up, they've started offering clinics at new times, at night and on Saturdays. Meanwhile, in Knox County. It appears that we're three times the amount of first doses than what we saw the first week of May. Uh, this week alone. Zach Green, the deputy health commissioner, says Vaximillion helped along with two other factors. The other is the 12 and older coming online. And the last thing is that June 2nd date. People understand that the mitigation efforts that we have been utilizing and been thankful for that our community has been strong and holding up those for the last what, almost 14 months. Um, that's going away. Something to keep in mind as more places start to offer incentives for people to get vaccinated, it's a good idea to take a picture of your vaccination card so you always have it with you. In Columbus, Lindsay Mills, 10 TV News. Lindsay, thank you. Now, Knox County's health leaders are also utilizing mobile clinics in rural areas. And shoppers, you'll like this one. Grocery chain Meyer will give away a $10 coupon when shoppers show their vaccination card. We saw a big change when it comes to wearing masks in Ohio. The director of the health department officially amended the order to allow fully vaccinated people in Ohio to stop wearing masks. This coincides with similar guidance from the CDC. In most settings, people who are fully vaccinated no longer need to wear masks. Now, in response to the CDC's new guidance, Columbus Public Health officials asked the city council to repeal its mask mandate. The statewide mandate is set to end June 2nd. More businesses are now putting new mask rules in place, but many people are having a tough time navigating the mixed messages. I think it's confusing. I think um, I think if you take the unnecessary precautions for yourself, then it shouldn't necessarily be pushed upon other people. If they tell me I don't have to wear a mask, I'm not going to wear a mask. If we can, I'd like to see us just go back to normal. Ideally, I'd like to see 70% of our population vaccinated. I'd also like to see lower rates of COVID-19 in our community. So when we get that sweet spot, I think that's when I would feel comfortable having people take off their mask. Now, we reached out to city council members, and they told us that the policy is under review. But they typically follow guidelines from the Columbus Public Health Department. Now, to see which businesses are requiring masks and which ones are ditching them, you can text the word masks to 614-460-3345. 
While most stores are using the honor system when it comes to vaccinated versus unvaccinated, the Columbus crew will require proof for fans to sit in the vaccinated-only section. Now, this begins with their match against Toronto FC May 29th. The sections are on the lower and upper sidelines. These will be sold at 100% capacity. And fans must also show a valid vaccination card or a photo of the card, plus a photo ID before they enter the sections. Now, the Verify team is looking into if businesses can ask you for your vaccination status. Some people are posting online suggesting HIPAA prevents this from happening. That's false. Evan Kosloff explains why. The Verify team is bringing you the facts when it comes to information spreading online. And after the CDC said vaccinated people can be in most public areas without a mask, posts like these started popping up, claiming that asking someone for their vaccination status violates the federal law HIPAA, or the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So let's verify. Is a business asking a customer about their vaccination status a violation of HIPAA? Here are sources. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And three experts. Ileana Peters, a health privacy specialist from the D.C. law office of Polsonelli, Glenn Cohen, a professor at Harvard Law School, and Kate Spector-Baghdadi, a bioethicist from the University of Michigan. Our experts say that the privacy part of HIPAA applies to healthcare providers and health insurance companies from disclosing certain medical information without your consent. So your local grocery store or bar is not restricted by that law. They can ask whether you're vaccinated. Anyone really can ask you for your information under HIPAA And it's you, the patient, who has to make the decision, yes, I'm going to give that information, or no, I'm not, because that's my decision. Um, But that isn't regulated by HIPAA. So we could verify that no, most regular businesses would not violate HIPAA by asking for your vaccination status. With your Verify, I'm Evan Kozlov. Two billion dollars. That is how much money the state of Ohio overpaid in unemployment benefits during the pandemic. And now many people are worried they'll have to pay it back, even though it wasn't their fault. So what went wrong here? Chief investigative reporter Bennett Haberly reveals what we found. And it has been just a frustrating experience. Sean and Karen Kessler's past year is a tale of misfortune. They're standing next to their roommate's car. Theirs was repossessed. They're behind on rent. Credit cards maxed out. Sean is working, but they're fighting with the state over four weeks of unemployment benefits for the two times Sean was out of work when they got COVID twice. Once last May and again in January. And we're caught in the middle and neither side is fixing it. And it's been a year. Records the Kesslers provided us show they did receive some benefits. But the state claims the Kesslers were also overpaid more than $1,500. Our system is built for annual rainfall, and this was really a 500-year flood. This week, Uh, the interim director of the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services, Matt Damschroeder, reiterated what we already knew, that Ohio was overwhelmed last spring with a wave of unemployment claims that flooded the system. What is new? is that in the year that followed, Ohio overpaid $2.1 billion worth of unemployment benefits. About a quarter of that, Dam Schroeder says, was lost to fraud. The majority came in the form of non-fraudulent overpayments, money that the state could ask people like Karen and Sean to pay back. I worry where our next meal is coming from sometimes. I worry how I'm going to pay my electric bill. You know, that's what keeps me up at night. It's also possible ODGFS could let them keep the money. But right now, Ohio's plan is unclear. As hard as it is uh, to, to hear, uh, the best thing I can say is hold tight. 
Uh, we are working on the policy. Before we get into what went wrong, it's important to remind you that there are two tracks of unemployment. There's traditional unemployment insurance, and then there's pandemic, or PUA, the latter of which was created by the federal government in wake of COVID for people who wouldn't normally qualify for jobless benefits. There were problems in both, made worse by the urgent need to get the money out quickly and by Ohio's antiquated computer system that was both crippled and exploited by a wave of jobless claims, both legitimate and fraudulent. For many Ohioans, the system has frankly failed. Representative Mark Frazier is co-chair of the Unemployment Improvement Council, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers tasked with taking a look at what went wrong in Ohio's unemployment system and examining ways to fix it. Ohio's antiquated computer system is not currently cloud-based, and a Minnesota company hired years ago to modernize it isn't expected to complete the project until the end of 2022. From what I see is the new system wasn't built in the two to three years that needed to be there to support the pandemic. The system continues to not be available. Frazier's group of lawmakers has a report due out in August, which in part will rely on the findings of state auditor Keith Faber. Further complicating this issue is the fact that Faber says ODJFS wasn't fully transparent with his auditors last year about the fact that they knew there was widespread fraud within the unemployment system last summer. We started asking the question, as we do in every audit, are you aware of any fraud concerns? Are you aware of any vulnerabilities in your system from a control standpoint? And the answer we got essentially was no, we've had some relatively minor uh, regular type of fraud. It's in the tens of thousands. But in February of this year, after Faber's audit was complete, ODJFS's then director, Kim Henderson, told state lawmakers this. High degree of fraud was first recognized in the PUA system in early July. Um, by July, that's when um, the alarm bells really started ringing. That admission, Faber says, prompted his office to start a new separate audit, specifically looking into fraud. They weren't disclosing what they had a duty to disclose and answering our questions. Henderson's statements in February came roughly two weeks before she announced she was leaving her position. It's truly been an honor to serve on your cabinet. This week, I attempted to ask her about the decision to step away. Through a Facebook message, she said she did not want to be interviewed and referred me to a spokesman who said it was Henderson's decision to leave the department. Fixing these issues now falls to the shoulders of the state and ODJFS, along with Interim Director Matt Damschroeder. The most important thing that the agency can do right now to establish confidence on the part of claimants is to make sure that legitimate claims are paid as quickly as possible. More work to do, he says, and more people like Karen and Sean are left wondering what they'll do as their fight over benefits drags on. But it should have been taken care of a long time ago. The auditor says he's encouraged by the increased transparency and cooperation with ODJFS. The interim director here says right now there is no policy in place to deal with the overpayments and they're working with federal law enforcement to address the millions lost to fraud. Bennett Haverly, 10 Investigates. Well, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, and the push is underway to create an Ohio Commission for Asian Affairs. We'll have a look at the next steps. Plus, moms and dads, listen up. Money is coming your way. Who is eligible and when to check your account? 
Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Angela Ann, courtesy of 10TV. There is a push to create Ohio's first Asian Affairs Commission. I spoke to Jonah Hilario, a community organizer with OPOL, a grassroots organization here in the state. Now, she says the AAPI community is also the only ethnic group without a commission. Hilario also says she's working to change that. It's important to us because um, AAPIs are the fastest um, growing uh, racial and ethnic demographic in Ohio and in the country. And uh, there are 350,000 people in Ohio who um, who are Asian or a- Asian Americans, and um, we need uh, our state to to know us. And a commission is one way for us to build um, meaningful leaders, meaningful relationships with with our state government. And um, we need, you know, one place to go to where um, you know our re- resources and um, and other other services could be coordinated for our community. Hilaria also says getting this together is time sensitive. Opal is hoping to get the Asian Affairs Commission on the governor's final budget, and that budget needs to be submitted by the end of June. As we near the end of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, it is critical to have a conversation about racism and the role the COVID-19 pandemic played. Here's reporter Tiffany Liu. Across the country, there have been a number of disturbing acts of hate against Asian Americans. How do these trends compare to years past? And is there a connection with the pandemic? Let's take a look at the data from the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism. Their researchers looked at hate crime patterns in 2020 across 16 American cities. In those 16 areas, overall hate crimes dropped by 7%. But anti-Asian hate crimes rose by 149% in 2020. In 2019, there were 49 documented cases of hate crimes with anti-Asian bias in the 16 cities studied, while in 2020, there were 122 cases. That's more than double the number of hate crimes from the year before. As police officers going out answering calls, there'll be times, yeah, when I deal with us. you know, either suspects or the citizens, they'll, you know, call me names. I'm from Korea, they call me, go back to China. 
A report published in July 2020 from the Pew Research Center found a majority of Asian adults, 58%, said it was more common for people to, quote, express racist or racially insensitive views about people who are Asian than it was before the coronavirus outbreak. A few customers came by and they made comments. They asked other, you know, team members, like, are you worried because you work with them? Implying, like, oh, Asian people have COVID. So is this uptick connected to the pandemic? The research suggests yes, there is a link between the two. According to the report, the amount of hate crimes reported to law enforcement rose 40% from pre-pandemic levels in 2019 to 2020 when the pandemic was widespread. And the Pew Research Center study found that, quote, about four in 10 U.S. adults say it has become more common for people to express racist views towards Asians since the pandemic began. Feels like a lot lately. We're, we should be calling ourselves the divided states of America. There are also organizations collecting data from across the country. Stop AAPI Hate has received thousands of self-reported incidents, majority of which are not reported to law enforcement. Between March 2020 and February 2021, 3,795 incidents of anti-Asian hate were reported to Stop AAPI Hate. There's been a surge of racism. There's been an increase in hate crimes and overall blatant racism and, uh, and racist policies. That was Tiffany Liu reporting. I recently hosted a conversation about Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. You can watch it right now on 10TV.com and also on our Roku and Amazon Fire apps. While underserved parts of Ohio are about to get better broadband access, Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill last week that will provide $20 million in grants for high-speed Internet to people living in rural areas. DeWine's office says nearly 1 million Ohioans right now have no access at all. Amtrak leaders announced plans to one day bring rail service back to the three C's in Ohio plus Dayton. Amtrak held a virtual roundtable with several city leaders to talk about their vision. The goal is to have rail service through Cleveland, Columbus and Cincinnati and also through a Dayton corridor. That means additional service through Crestline, Delaware, Springfield and Sharonville. It's being called the 3C and D corridor. We think the quarter in Ohio is a place we want to start early, and we're looking for the support at the local level uh, to show that that's a good investment for the federal government. And, of course, making uh, the, the uh, pitch to our federal partners about creating a long-term program that can provide the funding to Amtrak and to our state partners to make investments like this one. Now, the goal is to create three daily round trips by the year 2035, but it still needs federal funding to be created. Well, we learned more about the child tax credit here in Ohio last week. One expert explained it like this. For the last six months of 2021, people will be receiving these monthly payments. Then when they file their taxes next spring, they'll get the rest of the amount for 2021. Now, the IRS says 39 million families will receive advanced monthly payments starting July 15th. The IRS says that the credit amounts will increase for eligible parents to $3,600 for each child under the age of 6 and up to $3,000 for all children ages 6 through 17. The Center for Community Solutions estimates 92% of Ohio's children will benefit from this. For single parents, uh, if your adjusted gross income was less than $75,000 per year, you'll receive the full amount. 
for a married couple, that's $150,000 of adjusted gross income per year. And then for single people who are heads of household, it's in the middle of that, $112,500 per year are the income thresholds to receive that full tax credit. Now, people who earn more may receive a lesser amount. And for those who want to opt out of the advance payments, the IRS will release the steps on how to do that soon. Kalama City Council officially approved the largest settlement in city history, $10 million. That money will go to the family of Andre Hill, who was shot and killed by a police officer six months ago. 10TV's Richard Solomon explains why the council approved this payment. City council members were filled with sorrow as they passed the $10 million settlement to the family of Andre Hill, the largest amount ever paid out by the city. Andre Hill's tragic death is a reminder of the challenges we continue to confront in our city. This settlement tonight is a, a small step towards justice for the family of Andre Hill. All council members voted yes to pass the settlement. Councilman Mitchell Brown took a moment to share his personal thoughts on Hill's death. Mr. Hill's death has left a hole in the lives of a lot of people in the city of Columbus and throughout this United States. To the Hill family, I personally want to extend my sincerest condolences for your loss. Andre Hill was shot and killed by former Columbus police officer Adam Coy back in December. Police say Coy failed to turn on his body-worn camera until after Hill was shot and render aid. William Sparlaza, an attorney for the city, says the settlement was reached fairly quickly. The city felt um, a strong desire to do right by the family, to engage in uh, honest and serious uh, negotiations. All of them praying that the family will heal from this tragedy. We cannot afford to continue in this manner. And I hope that this is the last time we will see something like this come before us. Reporting in Columbus, Richard Solomon, 10TV News. In addition to the settlement, the city will also rename the Brentnell Community Center's gymnasium after Andre Hill. Well, Central Ohio said goodbye to a former state leader who worked to build up minority businesses. Otto Beatty Jr. was well known in the Columbus community for the work on how he helped lift up disadvantaged neighborhoods. Beatty served 18 years in the state legislature, as well as special counsel to the state attorney general. Circumstances surrounding his death are not known at this time, but we do know he was loved. Earlier this year, Tendivy spoke with his wife and current congresswoman Joyce Beatty about that love. I could not do much of this without Otto. He is just that much of a strength to me, uh, a leader. And believe it or not, I listen a lot to him. That was, ba that was back in February. Otto Beatty Jr. was 81 years old. President Joe Biden sent this statement soon after the death of Otto Beatty Jr., saying he served his hometown as a trailblazing legislator, attorney, and community leader. Well, we want to thank you all for watching Face the State. Tracy will be back next Sunday. And remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. Have a great day. That's again Angela Ann, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. <laughs>
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone are Lori Rubiner, who is the Executive Vice President of the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, and Tammy Boyd, Chief Policy Officer and Senior Counsel with the Black Women's Health Imperative. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Happy to be here. First, uh, Lori, tell us what the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids is, and uh, then Tammy, follow up with info about the Black Women's Health Imperative. We're um, thrilled to be here this morning. Um, Our organization um, is about 25 years old, and we're an advocacy organization trying to campaign against the uh, big tobacco companies and uh, advocate for policies that help people stay tobacco-free. And yes, the Black Women's Health Imperatives, um, we're a national nonprofit organization, um, and we're we're dedicated to advancing um, health equity and social justice for black women across the lifespan. policy, advocacy, education, research, um, and we, we represent the 22 million black women and girls, um, and so we're happy today to, um, to join um, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. Okay, and Lori, uh, your organization, the Com- Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, is out with a new report today talking about the targeting of youth for e-cigarettes. We are, Dave. Um, our report details the tobacco industry's long history of targeting women and girls with slick marketing campaigns and even specific cigarette brands and the devastating consequences that these marketing campaigns have had on women's health. It's this kind of aggressive targeting of women and girls by the tobacco industry that's been going on for nearly a century. And they use themes like beauty, fashion, and sophistication, all the while knowing that tobacco use causes very serious harm at every stage of a woman's life. Now, an older guy like me, it doesn't seem like I come into contact with tobacco ads hardly at all. You know, you don't see them on TV anymore. You know, that's been decades. But where are these kids getting this information? You know, it's mostly you don't see it so much anymore. But, you know, lots of people will remember the Virginia Slims, you've come a long way, baby, like Dave, you and I will remember those ads, but most, but you and I probably don't, what we don't see are the ads that are on social media that are really targeting kids now, Um, and that's where it's, um, where the really insidious marketing is taking place, because it's really targeting young people, and it gets them early, and addicts them to nicotine early, and then keeps it for their lifetime. And Tammy, what about black girls? Uh, how are they being targeted and, and impacted by this? So, as you all mentioned, tobacco products are really advertised and promoted, you know, disproportionately to racial and ethnic minority communities. Um, the tobacco industry specifically has targeted black women um, in the Hispanic community with a broad range of the marketing efforts, including like sponsorship of community and music events, magazine advertising, and also retail promotion. Okay, and Lori, uh, what about the prevalence of e-cigarettes among youth or girls? It's a very, very serious problem. There are 3.6 million kids in the United States, including one in five high school students, who use e-cigarettes. And um, they, what the tobacco companies and the e-cigarette companies have done is they have 15,000 flavors that are designed to bring kids into the into vaping. They're flavors like Captain Crunch, strawberry, mango. These are not flavors that adults use. They're specifically targeted at kids. And what a lot of people don't know is one of those little e-cigarettes has the same amount of nicotine as an entire pack of 20 cigarettes. So they're incredibly potent and they use the flavors to draw kids in, but then the nicotine gets them addicted for life. 
Now, a few years ago, the CDC, you know, when you would ask somebody with a CDC whether or not e-cigarettes were less dangerous than regular cigarettes, they would say possibly, but we don't know. Do we know now? Is there an answer to all this? Well, they're certainly not less dangerous when it comes to nicotine addiction. Um, those e-cigarettes are, we have, they have demonstrated that they hook children early and they keep them hooked for life on nicotine. And nicotine has very serious consequences for brain development, especially for young people. That's uh, Lori Rubiner, who's the executive vice president, campaign for tobacco-free kids, and also talking with Tammy Boyd. Chief Policy Officer and Senior Counsel with the Black Women's Health Imperative. Tammy, with the information you're learning through this report, where do you go from here with it? What what can you glean from it? Yes, um, and, you know, from the report, I mean, to also mention, um, there's several, you know, as Lori mentioned, there's an addiction, the nicotine addiction aspect, but there are also several other, you know, devastating consequences for um, for the health of, of women and girls, um, and, and for black, and particularly for black women. Um, and so the report, um, it really, um, you know, you can glean from it, you know, is that um, tobacco use occurs at every, um, the devastating consequences of tobacco use occurs at every stage of a woman's life. Um, it could lead, uh, it could impact a woman's, uh, a woman's ability to become pregnant and also cause serious complications. 14.6% of, of American Indian Alaska Native pregnant women smoke. 8.8% um, of white pregnant women um, smoke. 4.8% of black pregnant women smoke. Um, and so smoking is, is higher among also um, women uh, with lower levels of education. So there's just devastating consequences. I mean, and also around chronic disease, um, uh, cardiovascular, lung cancer, um, and additional harms as women begin to age. Um, so from the report, you can just really see some of the, the, the consequences and some of the, the impact um, of tobacco use. Lori, uh, folks may remember that uh, right before the pandemic hit, there was a, a big concern about kids especially, but all people who vape, uh, there were people getting sick, some sort of a lung disease. 2,500 people had been hospitalized and 54 were killed before the pandemic. Vaping shops said it was coming from the black market, products that they were not selling. Is that still going on or has there ever been any decision on what was causing that or, or whether that risk is still there? I don't know that they ever really solved that issue, but I think the important thing to note about vaping and the coronavirus is that, and we were, we quickly warned people about this, is that both vaping and smoking impact your respiratory system. And coronavirus is a respiratory disease. And so the CDC quickly said that if you smoke, you are at much higher risk of more serious consequences from the coronavirus. And certainly if you vape, you are also at higher risk. So we quickly said to people, you need to stop smoking and vaping during the coronavirus um, because you are putting yourself at much higher risk for more serious um, coronavirus uh, consequences by smoking and vaping. Just a moment or two to go here, Lori and uh, Tammy, any, any closing thoughts here? I would say in terms of um, for smoke, folks who want to smoke with who want to go and get help to quit, they, um, they need to be aware that help, there's help available and they can get help by, um, in quitting by calling 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's Q-U-I-T now. Um, or, or visiting um, smokefree.gov. Yeah, that's, that's the best thing. Is the, the best thing that people can do is to quit. And the second thing that, that we can do 
is to ban the flavored products, which are doing nothing but hooking kids on vaping products. Okay, and Lori, where can folks see this new report uh, from the tobacco Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids? They can go to our website at um, campaignfortobaccofreekids.org, um, and they will find it there. Great. Uh, Lori Rubiner and Tammy Boyd, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Did you know that every year public school teachers spend nearly $500 of their own money for student supplies? At Donors Choose, we want students and teachers to have the tools they need for a great education. And now, more than ever, they need your help. Go to DonorsChoose.org and choose from teachers' requests that support reading, math, science, music, and more. Learn more at DonorsChoose.org. Donors Choose. Support a classroom. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me is Dr. LaShawn McKeever, who is the Director of the Office of Minority Health for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for talking to us. We're talking about uh, open enrollment through uh, healthcare.gov, the Affordable Care Act, because there's actually some special provisions going on in light of the pandemic. Is that correct? Correct. So as a result of the, the color release law, there is now greatly improved financial assistance available for anyone who may apply for health insurance through uh, the marketplace. So if they go to healthcare.gov, they're able to fill out an application and see if they qualify for this new expanded uh, financial assistance during the special enrollment period. So this could be somebody who's already got health care through the Affordable Care Act and maybe already paying premiums, but since a new passage in Washington, they may get a further discount. Absolutely. So anyone who is currently uninsured or if they have health insurance, so for example, if you're covered through the marketplace already, um, we're encouraging you to go to healthcare.gov to see if you qualify for um, this uh, expanded financial assistance. And just to give you an example, we're finding that four out of five people currently enrolled can find a plan uh, for about $10 a month or less and for, uh, because of this expanded financial assistance. And for a typical family of four, uh, the average premium will go from about $400 a month down to as low as $163 a month due to this newly financed, uh, expanded financial assistance. So it's a a wonderful opportunity for anyone who may currently be uninsured or looking to lower their um, health insurance costs through the marketplace um, insurance plan. So you're talking about uh, literally thousands of dollars a year that people can save by doing this. Right. And, um, you know, they will have until August 15th to take advantage of the special enrollment period and these financial, um, the financial expansions that have occurred. But we're, we're encouraging people not to wait. If they sign up today, they could have access to health insurance as early as June 1st, and that's just a few short days away. How long is uh, this sort of reduction in subsidies uh, guaranteed for going down the line? So they will be covered for this year, but it also um, will apply for next year. So um, this, this expanded uh, financial assistance is for this calendar year, but also uh, there's funding that's beyond this year. So they would, be, they would have to go back online and reapply for insurance for next year as well. But right now we're focused on encouraging people who need health insurance this year to go and take advantage of this special enrollment period. 
And we're going through a period right now where that's more than usual because of the pandemic, not only just because of anybody at any age that may have lost their job during the pandemic and not uh, started up again, but also maybe for folks who dropped out of the job market who were close to retirement and, and maybe looking for that gap until they get to Medicare. We know that there are so many different um, things that are impacting Americans right now. Um, you know, you mentioned people have um, the impact of the pandemic, people have lost their jobs, um, and there's other circumstances that are impacting people's ability to have access to health insurance. So during the special enrollment period, this expanded financial assistance, which has actually been expanded in two ways, it, it is um, more inclusive of consumers at higher income levels, um, but it offers even better financial assistance options than in the past. So this is um, truly an opportunity for people to get access to the health insurance that they, they need, quality health insurance that they, they need. Talking with Dr. LaShawn McKeever, she is with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the Director of the Office of Minority Health. When you talk about income eligibility for these uh, subsidies, we're talking way, way beyond uh, like the poverty level. This is middle income and higher, right? Right. So, so there are, um, under the code release law, um, it is inclusive of consumers at higher income levels. But I can give you an example. So, for example, a family of four making $90,000 a year can see their premiums decrease by about $200 per month. Um, and so that, that's just an example um, of, of the, the type of change that one might see for their premiums. But uh, for many premiums, we're seeing a decrease on average of about $50 per person per month. Um, so, you know, recognizing that there's many different people are in, in very different financial situations right now, um, they can go online to healthcare.gov, sign up, you know, fill out the application and see what type of plan and financial assistance they may qualify for. Is there uh, any sort of uh, way to figure out in sort of a uniform way what a policy would cost uh, on a nationwide average, or are they very, very different from one state to another? Um, it's very different. I, I, I wouldn't be able to give you, um, you know, give you probably that, that specific answer. Um, but just, you know, as I shared, on average, we're seeing that four out of five people can find plans as low as $10 a, um, a month. And then for a family of four, we're seeing on average premium as low as $163 a month, whereas before they might pay $400 a month for a family of four. So, you know, we are seeing incredible uh, savings for different, you know, for different scenarios. But on average, those represent incredible, um, you know, incredible savings for health insurance, quality health insurance. Can people continue to update their information or sign up over the Memorial Day weekend? So they can, they can continue to sign up. Um, we have, a, uh, they can go to healthcare.gov at any time. Um, our call center uh, is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that number is 800-318-2596. But if they sign up before the end of May, they'll have access to health insurance starting June 1st. So we're asking for people, you know, not to delay, but to just, you know, go online and see what they may be eligible for. They will have until August 15th. This special enrollment period will last until August 15th. But if they sign up today, consumers can start saving money and having uh, have access to health insurance sooner. 
Talking with Dr. LaShawn McKeever. She is the director of the Office of Minority Health for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Anything else you'd like to add? I would just encourage people to take advantage of this opportunity. This law was passed to help families across the country who may need health insurance. So go to healthcare.gov, you know, sign up and see what you may qualify for during the special enrollment period. And thank you for the opportunity to share this information today. Great. Thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.